what's coming next, really probably a, more of a matter of when than if in terms of impeachment in the House. Yeah, things happened really fast this past week. We thought we were you know, kind of on the, you know, more hearings, more hearings, and then all of a sudden, let's, let's draft some articles. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. A busy weekend in Washington with many lawmakers staying in the nation's capital as Democrats start to draft articles of impeachment against the president. So what are Indiana lawmakers saying and what's the reaction from the White House? Here's Anna Wernicke from our Washington Bureau. Our democracy is what is at stake. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi gave the green light to the House Judiciary Committee to start drafting the articles of impeachment. The president leaves us no choice but to act because he is trying to corrupt once again the election for his own benefit. Pelosi says President Trump abused his power by pressuring the Ukrainian president for political favors. If the president is impeached, the Senate will hold a trial to decide if he should be removed from office. And the White House says it's ready to fight. We feel very, very strongly about this, and the president's done nothing wrong. Pam Bondi, special advisor to the president, says the White House is gearing up for a fair trial in the Senate. We are prepared. We will fight because everything is on our side. The truth, the law, the facts. But when that could happen is still up in the air. The House Judiciary Committee is scheduled to hold another hearing on Monday. In Washington, I'm Anna Warnicke. Indiana Congressman Andre Carson issued a statement saying, quote, Speaker Pelosi made the right decision. He said, quote, the president abused his power, compromised our national security for personal gain, and violated his oath of office. Senator Mike Braun said, quote, Speaker Pelosi never wanted an outsider like President Trump, and Democrats have been trying to impeach him for two years. He says he looks forward to arguing the facts of the case, as he puts it, not opinions and hearsay in the Senate trial. Meantime, the president's daughter was here in Indianapolis this past week as she joined the Commerce Secretary and Indiana's governor to talk about workforce development. Our Nick McGill was there. Trump, along with Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, in town for the fourth American Workforce Policy Advisory Board meeting. Part of a push the White House says is designed to help get Americans into the workforce. According to the Department of Labor, there's roughly one million more job openings in the country than there are people looking for work. Trump says the board's focus is to figure out how to get workers the training they need to remain competitive. Making sure that every single American in this country has the opportunity to achieve their dreams and opening up pathways that they didn't realize were available to them. As the Trump administration pushes forward to 2020, Indiana looks to be a key state in their efforts, particularly when it comes to touting the workforce and the economy. Just two weeks ago, Vice President Mike Pence in town addressing the countrywide shortage of skilled laborers in the U.S., touting the need for more emphasis on career technical training as a way of helping to fill the job gap. All honest work is honorable and we have to have an education system in America that honors every career. Ivanka Trump and Secretary Ross also joined Governor Holcomb for a tour of Indiana's women prisons during their visit. That was to highlight a coding yep. program they've installed there. But clearly, Indiana, a big part of that right. economic approach when it comes to Trump's 2020 administration. A big focus. Nick McGill, thank you so much. Yep. We appreciate it. Meantime, ahead of this 2020 election year, Governor Eric Holcomb got a big endorsement this past week from the Indiana Chamber. This as he continues to deal with some questions about that Amazon controversy with his 2020 opponents calling for an independent investigation. Here's his response. They're misinformed and gullible. 
if they believe what has been printed. Um, and uh, nothing in that report um, that I read in the uh, Indianapolis Star uh, gives me any sense of confidence uh, that, uh, that the story or their sources uh, were credible. Governor Holcomb issuing a cease and desist letter last weekend to the news organizations that published the story. Well, we're now just a few weeks away from the start of next year's legislative session, an election year for the incumbent governor and the end of an era with House Speaker Brian Bosma's looming retirement. This past week, we met his replacement and our Kayla Sullivan was there. It was a unanimous decision. Representative Todd Houston was the only representative willing to fill the shoes of the longest serving House Speaker in Indiana history. It makes you feel good and honored that the, the caucus felt strongly and united around that and uh, very appreciative of their support. And he says he's going to need that support because he plans to use it. You know, I rely on our caucus and our leadership team even more than, than the speaker does. He's always been incredibly uh, um, collaborative, but I think I will probably rely uh, even more so. With school funding being top of mind for many, Houston says there's nothing he values more than education. Anybody that knows me knows the um, appreciation and gratitude I have for, for teachers, and uh, um, I, I wouldn't anticipate that will ever change. Houston also notes the importance of addressing state health care concerns. So we're going to do everything we can to lower health care costs for Hoosiers uh, while improving Hoosier health. Todd Houston will no longer serve as co-chair of the Ways and Means Committee. He says he will be primarily focused on his new role as Speaker-elect this session. It'll be a great opportunity to be uh, mentored by Speaker Bosma to, to learn all the different responsibilities and, and to really prepare hopefully for 2021. The short 2020 session begins on January 6th and ends on March 14th. Here at the Indiana Convention Center, Governor Eric Holcomb and legislative leadership outlined their priorities for 2020. Health care and education were some of the main topics. An increase in teacher pay doesn't seem likely this session, but other education issues like holding harmless iLearn scores and unnecessary burdens on educators will be addressed next year. We gave $763 million to K-12 education during this year in 2019 in the budget. Uh, we'll talk about a number of education issues, but uh, we want to wait and wait kind of watch and see how uh, that influx of money has assisted schools. It's just not teacher pay that they're interested. They want to be able to teach. They want to be creative in the classroom. And, and uh, we've thrown so many things at teachers, it's become very complicated. We'll work to make sure schools are um, not held harmless, you know, or held harmless to, mm -hmm. um, uh, to the recent um, I learned scores. We'll, we'll make sure that we're addressing some of the unnecessary, I'll call them burdens, that teachers may have to endure currently. Governor Holcomb also addressed the importance of creating one Indiana by continuing to connect the state's cities and towns. He then says we need to advertise it. We have to do a better job, we being the state, of, of uh, making folks aware of all that we have to offer and the diversity that we have to offer. Well, Governor Eric Holcomb says he will officially unveil his 2020 agenda in Terre Haute on Tuesday. We'll bring you the specifics as we get them. Reporting from the Indiana Convention Center, I'm Kayla Sullivan for InFocus. All right, Kayla, thanks. Up next, diversity and the election. Pete Buttigieg re reaching out to African-American voters while Indiana Republicans launch a new effort to do the same. And what's the Indiana impact as nearby states begin to legalize marijuana? Well, we're just days away from finding out.
right, let's bring in our panel now. Abdul Hakim Shabazz, the editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org. Dr. Laura Wilson, political science professor at the University of Indianapolis. 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel, and former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Okay, lots to talk about here in the coming days. We could see a vote on articles of impeachment in the House quite a week ahead, potentially, in Washington. Uh, quite a week, but I do think the Democrats are uh, making a mistake on this one. If you saw the comments uh, by Georgetown Law Professor Jonathan Turley, he said that you know, they're kind of maybe moving too fast, too quick. Maybe some of this should have went through the court system to get people uh, to testify. Uh, but I think it may be moving just a little bit too fast, too quick, and they could probably lose some public support on this one. At the same time, Laura, it seems as if, and some Democrats have said, they don't want this to really collide with the primary process in the election year in 2020. That's going to be the challenge. I would agree with Abdul. It doesn't seem like there's a real rush when you know what's going to happen in the Senate, regardless of what happens in the House. They want to keep these things separate, but the reality is the impeachment is going to impact the election. Regardless if it's the primary, regardless what's happened, it's already impacting it, and we're going to continue to see that effect come on. Sony, you said a couple weeks ago you didn't... You you thought we might not get to this point in the House of Representatives. Certainly seems now as if they're planning to move ahead. It does look like they are, and they're making just, I think, one mistake after another uh, to Abdul's comment. They're losing public support, and they're going to lose it even faster and in, in, in greater numbers. They're going to try to get this done before Christmas. Nobody wants to see this uh, happen before Christmas. Nobody wants to see it. Uh, the, most of the American public doesn't want to see it happen at all because they don't have evidence. They don't have a clear reason for impeachment. It's too hard to understand. They're gonna, it's going to drag out through the political, uh, through the election season, and there's going to be a trial in the Senate. The truth is going to come out. Then. President Clinton's impeachment happened uh, right before Christmas. How does this play out over the next few days and weeks? You know, it's happened really quickly this week, and I think that may actually have been a mistake. Um, and I'm going to disagree and agree with Tony and everyone else. Um, I don't think no one cares about this. I think it's galvanizing both parties more than ever before. I saw a poll this week, basically 86 to 7, depending on whether you ask Democrats or Republicans whether they support or oppose impeachment. People have made up their minds. It's either a hoax, as Tony will say, or a slam dunk on the Democratic side. Right now, I don't think it's particularly helpful because I think it is going to wind up colliding with the primary the process. Year. Well, let's talk about 2020 now and the race for president. Mayor Pete Buttigieg facing criticism from some of his opponents, spending some time in South Carolina this week, hoping to gain more support from African-American voters. But at an event in South Bend this past week, we also saw this, which you're about to see right here, quite a scene as uh, a Black Lives Matter and Bernie Sanders supporter disrupted this event for two African-American council members who were there to show support for the mayor. Quite a scene there in South Bend. No doubt outreach to minority voters, also something that is top of mind uh, this year on both sides of the aisle. A lot of talk about the uh, lack of diversity in the next Democratic debate with Kamala Harris dropping out. You also saw the Indiana Republican Party announcing this past week that they're adding a director of diversity engagement ahead of 2020. Well, I think it's interesting there's more diversity on this stage right now here than there will be at the next Democratic debate primary. I just thought I'd get, get, that, get that out there. Number two, but this is also the problem when you play identity politics. Instead of going for candidates, you know, the best ideas, I can spell out the best vision. My, my Democratic friends have all these checkout boxes. Are you black? Are you female? Are you in a wheelchair? Are you LGBTQ plus whatever? You're so busy checking out boxes, you end up losing out quality candidates. Just you know, find a candidate and win an election. That's all you got to do. The optics of this continue to be challenging for Mayor Pete Buttigieg, it seems. Uh, they had this event 
lined up Wednesday night, and obviously it, it didn't end up going well. No, it didn't. And I think in some ways it could have backfired. I, the only thing I could say is I don't know how many people paid attention to this. And of course, it's a really fast-moving news cycle. You have impeachment. You have NATO. There's a lot of other things. So it, at best, he just hopes that people didn't care about this. But we have South Carolina coming up after New Hampshire, after Iowa, large African-American demographic there. And he's going to have to find a way to kind of overcome that challenge with the African-American voters. What do you guys see here as we move ahead to 2020 well, on, on these issues? A couple of quick things. With Pete Buttigieg, good, good for him. He's got a few uh, African-Americans in South Bend. Um, but you can see there, Democrats are attacking each other any way they can at any event. You're seeing it over and over again with Joe Biden as well. What I don't like about Buttigieg is him attacking Trump supporters like myself by calling us racist because we support Trump to pander to the black community and get that support. That's wrong, and he should stop that right away. I don't disagree with that, actually. I don't think any politician should or supporter should be out there calling names. We would be a lot better off as a country if we'd listen to each other. That being said, I do think a lot of you know, the narrative around um, the presidential candidates is, oh, does so-and-so have support in the black community? Does so-and-so have enough Latino support? It is media-driven. Um, we're going to see when those conversations go down to the grassroots level. I don't think the one in South Bend was actually that. But in South Carolina, we'll see how Pete does. We'll see if he can connect with voters there. You also saw the Buttigieg uh, campaign kind of going back and forth with Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker on various issues and ads this week, too. Let's also talk about Governor Holcomb here ahead of 2020. It's still fighting back on that Amazon story. This past week, he got the endorsement of the Indiana Chamber. But it certainly seems like uh, the teacher pay issue could continue to be a big one in the session and perhaps in the election next year with Holcomb and legislative leaders this past week, Abdul, saying it's unlikely they'll be able to do anything on the issue of teacher pay this year. Uh, because to do something on teacher pay, at least from the state level, it's you non budget year. Right, yeah, in a non budget right. year, to go back and open the budget. And what I tell my friends is say, hey, we should go back and open the budget, right? Where are you going to take the money from? Are you going to take it from prisons? Are you going to take it from mental health? Are you going to take it from SS FSSA? No, we're going to take it from corrections. Where are you going to take the money from? The, at the end of the day, these are local issues. It is, it is school boards and teachers' unions who decide what the teacher pay is. And I said from day one, if you just want to be mad at somebody, get mad at your school board and your union, because they're the ones who determine what your salary is. Jennifer, does that education become a defining issue in 2020? I'm really not sure. If I were you know, in the position of teachers, uh, and by the way, I was in a school uh, all day uh, last week, and it was, uh, my heart goes out to everyone who teaches. Um, I would probably, tis the season for eliciting promises. I would probably try to move the ball forward and say, hey, look, this is an election year. We expect you to commit to raising pay and raising the, the, the budget for education when we can do that. That's what I would be doing. How do you think the governor addresses this you know, throughout the year and also in the state of the state coming up next month? I think, uh, like you said um, this week, that he will address that, the, the, the testing issue and, and try to... He rolls out his agenda on exactly. Tuesday. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with Abdul. They're not going to open the budget this year, but they are going to make a point to, to look at administrative costs. Speaker Bosman has pointed out that over the last 10 years, uh, 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 teaching, teachers have declined by 3%, students have declined the population by 3%, but administrators have increased by 31%, something uh, in that neighborhood. So they're going to try to address that or suggest changes there. We saw all the teachers that were at the State House on Organization Day. Exactly. I was going to mention Red for Ed. So even though people don't all know that not a budgeting year, they don't know where the money comes from, how it's allocated, obviously there's a lot of public support for this. There's definitely a demand. And I think being a non-budgeting year, you don't open the budget, but you ask for this and you say, hey, we're coming up to an election next November. This is what we want to see. Can you make this happen for us or do we need to put someone else in this office who can? The other big news at the State House this week, not a surprise. We told you last week we were expecting this, but now we know officially State Rep Todd Houston 
is in the role of, of Speaker-elect. Uh, what do you make of this change in leadership at the State House? Uh, actually, known Todd uh, Houston for years is a good friend. I think it'll be uh, good for uh, the Indiana House Representatives. Uh, also, uh, having chaired Ways and Means, co-chaired sort of put together the budget, handled big issues, you know, like gaming, um, also his part on our you know, transportation. So I think Todd will be good. Also, I think what's really important is the fact it was a unanimous decision in his caucus. No one else, in fact, uh, stepped up to, to seek the role. It shows that uh, there was a the properly done transition between Speaker Bosma and the caucus. Uh, the caucus is united. Todd's a great guy, like Abdul said. Um, I've known him for years. He's very thoughtful, very pragmatic. He'll be a great leader. How do you see it from the other side of the aisle? I actually don't see it any differently, um, yeah. shockingly enough. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that he is going to be a breath of fresh air. Um, he is not someone who's known as being beholden to special interests. He's a thoughtful guy. He's a logical guy. And I think it'll be a nice change. And in the end of an era at the Statehouse, Speaker Bosma has been there more than 30 years. We saw him, you know, sometimes clash with uh, Governor Pence. We saw him generally work pretty well with Holcomb. It's certainly an important position. Yeah. And as far as getting legislation passed, he has a lot, a lot there. All right. Coming up next, an issue we've been talking about here the past couple of weeks. How will legalized marijuana in the state of Illinois impact Hoosiers here in Indiana? Courtney Crown reporting from the state line right after this. Well, recently we traveled to the Illinois-Indiana border. With just weeks until Illinois legalizes marijuana, what's the impact in the town of Stateline, Indiana, and others like it along the border, especially with other surrounding states now taking steps to legalize the drug? Our Courtney Crown has more. The name says it all, Stateline, Indiana. With a population of 130, it sits on the border of Indiana and Illinois. This is Bismarck. <laughs> Sal Marino technically lives in Bismarck, Illinois, but he's merely a stone's throw from Indiana. One house down and across the road is state line Indiana. Along the border, marijuana is a hot topic. On January 1st, Illinois becomes the 11th state to legalize recreational marijuana. It's not going to impact me. I uh, quit it a long time ago. Enforcing marijuana laws will be drastically different depending on if you're in Illinois where it's legal or Indiana where it's not. Being a border county, I think we're going to see an increase in the number of people that, that possess marijuana because of that. Sheriff Russell Hart and the Warren County Sheriff's Office patrol Stateline City, Indiana. Too busy, busy. Marijuana's already costing his deputies more time and tickets. We've noticed uh, an increase in the number of marijuana-related arrests over the last several years uh, since the talk began of legalizing marijuana. Sheriff Hart says the number of marijuana-related arrests in Warren County increased by 250 percent from 2015 to 2019, and he expects that number to go up. They'll be able to legally purchase marijuana in Illinois, and they could be traveling from one Illinois town to another Illinois town, but say their GPS gives them the most direct route, which could be on our four-lane highway that goes through the middle of Warren County. So come January 1st. We're not going to change the way we view it just because on that side of the road, it's now legal. It's, it's still not legal in Indiana, and when you, when you cross the border, you need to know that. This is the former Border Cafe, and it could be a dispensary within the next year. Now, this building is located in Illinois, but it's less than a mile from the state line. And neighbors we spoke with in Indiana, where it still will be illegal, believe this will have an impact. 
going to be readily made more readily available. So, so yes, if, if the options are there for folks to experiment. Under the new Illinois law, Illinois residents can buy 30 grams of raw cannabis or about one ounce cannabis infused products with no more than 500 milligrams of THC and five grams of concentrated cannabis product. Anyone from out of state can buy half of that. But so if you come in from Illinois into Indiana and you've got marijuana that you've been smoking or you have it on you, it's going to be considered a, uh, a criminal act here in the state of Indiana. Indiana State Police are ready to enforce Indiana's zero tolerance stance. State police say if you're involved in a crash days or weeks after smoking marijuana you legally bought and smoked in Illinois. You will be uh, required to take a blood draw and if it comes back with uh, marijuana in your system you could very well be arrested. All right, last week I spoke with Congressman Larry Bouchon about this issue. He represents a good chunk of southwestern Indiana by the Illinois border. He says, quote, I think it's going to be very complicated. So you have someone who's an Indiana resident who comes over from Illinois. They've legally used a THC product. Now they're in Indiana and they're impaired. He said, I honestly don't know how we'll work some of these issues out. Bouchon, by the way, supports medical marijuana, but not for recreational purposes. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. Time for this week's winners and losers. Abdul, I'll start with you. Biggest winner, Gen X in the State House, the governor, speaker elect, and Senate president, all uh, members of Generation X, so score one for our generation. Biggest go. loser, Kamala Harris. All right, Laura. Winner and loser, the Holcomb administration. Obviously, a hard week in terms of that Amazon article. You had the Society of Professional Jurors respond, a lot of stuff there. But winner in terms of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce endorsement, pretty important there. I've only ever had two for the gubernatorial race. Yeah, totally. Uh, my winners are the folks at the state GOP, Kyle Huffer, the chairman of the state committee for hiring a diversity engagement director. Whitley Yates will do a great job, and she's a winner as well. All right, Jennifer. I have two winners, uh, both brassy and sassy. One is Nancy <laughs> Pelosi, and the other is uh, my almost 12-year-old uh, daughter who uh, turns the big one to on Tuesday. Hey, happy birthday. All right, <laughs> lots to come in the week ahead. We'll have it all covered for you right here and much more on our podcast as well. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Talking here on the podcast with Abdul Hakim Shabazz, Laura Wilson, Tony Samuel, and Jennifer Wagner. Uh, could certainly be a busy week ahead as, uh, as we wonder what's coming next. Really, probably a, more of a matter of when than if in terms of impeachment in the House. Yeah, things happened really fast this past week. We thought we were you know, kind of on the, you know, more hearings, more hearings, and then all of a sudden let's, let's draft some articles. Um, I think it's going to move really quickly. I think uh, we'll see what the political ramifications are. We are going into Christmas, so, you know, I think people have made up their minds. I don't know that anything's going to change those, and we'll see what happens in the uh, primary. How long of a Senate trial do you think we'll see? The president has said, let's do it. Let's get it over with. Let's do it. Uh, there have been some Republicans say, let's, you know, let's drag this out in the Senate. You've got Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren in the Senate. They won't be out on the campaign trial. Sure. Campaign trail as the trial goes on in D.C. <laughs> That's tough to say. Right. Um, it'll be a fair trial, uh, unlike what we've seen uh, in the House. And part of the reason that it moved so quickly in the House is that they didn't allow uh, a, an equal treatment of the Republicans. There hasn't been the, the minority day, I think is what... There was a Republican witness in the judiciary. There was a, a Republican witness in the judiciary, yeah. but in the, or in the intelligence, in the judiciary, 
uh, uh, I guess yeah, you're talking about yeah, Justice the, the, uh, Jonathan, or, uh, Jonathan Turley yeah. from George uh, right. Washington. Who, by the way, University. said he didn't support President Trump in the last election and didn't, didn't, didn't think the phone call was perfect. That's right. He didn't um, support him. He didn't vote for him. He's a Democrat, but he was who the Republicans picked because he's fair and, and looking at it clearly, uh, unlike the three uh, other professors that you saw picked by uh, the Democrats who wanted to make it their day to, to, to uh, dump on Trump and, and get everything that they've been saying for the last three years because this isn't the first time they've said that he should be impeached. They've come up with other reasons before, so this was their day. But nobody else, no fact witnesses, only opinion. And so you'll see a different trial in the Senate, to your question. Uh, it'll, it'll take me uh, weeks, I think, and it, it will uh, uh, butt up against the primary. And you'll take longer also because you'll be seeing a push to get Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Adam Schiff all in there to testify. We're still expecting Indiana's lawmakers to vote along party lines, it, it would appear, if not all the members of the, of the House and Senate, for that matter. Uh, but we have not heard a lot from Senator Todd Young on the issue, who's kind of said, I'm potentially a juror, and I, I don't want to weigh in on, on a lot of the news of the day. Which I imagine he probably already has decided, uh, but I think that is the right thing to say, certainly. That you, he hasn't, it hasn't come to the Senate. At this point, his thought is just his own personal private thought. Once it goes to the Senate, he can make that decision, he can make it more public, whatever it is. I think if you look back at the judiciary hear hearings you had, the committee hearings, we talked about those four uh, judicial scholars talking about the Constitution. I thought it was interesting because they're using it as this layout for, oh, this is what the testimony, this is how we can make sense of it, uh, using those judicial experts. But then they go through very quickly and they're, they're trying to get something done before Congress goes into recess. Organizationally, that just seemed a little odd to me, making this longer contextual historical argument, but then saying, okay, and now we're planning on, we've got, what, 14 days, got to get a vote in. I thought that part just seemed a little, um, maybe not thought through the entire way. Coming right up against that uh, Christmas recess, another funding deadline, and of course the 2020 campaign <laughs> in January. Oh yeah, and then uh, now, in all due fairness to the Democrats, this probably would have lasted longer had the Trump administration let their people go testify in front of, uh, in front of the respective committees. So you got like uh, you know, 14 baker's dozen witnesses that aren't showing up, things are gonna maybe move a little bit faster, a little bit quicker. But with that said, I, this is where I agree with Professor Turley, when he said that you know maybe if the, the the Trump administration wouldn't have testified, let's go to court, let's have a judge make the decision, then we have a much cleaner, much cleaner process. And I think this is where the Democrats made a mistake because they let Republicans sort of taint the process, so to speak. Because now, if the process is tainted from a legal perspective, then we can also now question the outcome. What else stands out to you guys uh, th this week at the national level or at the state level as we look ahead to uh, the? legislative session and of course a big election year here in Indiana next year. Yeah well I, th I think everything kind of builds up to the election cycle. I mean we nationally certainly can start talking about those primaries. It seemed like they were really far away but pretty soon we're going to get to New Hampshire, Iowa, South yeah. Carolina and then even into Big Tuesday we talked a little bit on the show about uh, Kamala Harris dropping out. You have Michael Bloomberg coming in. You also had Deval Patrick a couple weeks right. ago. Uh, so a shifting ground, I think, for some of those candidates. And then polling-wise, who are they taking from and who's right. getting fished back out When there? you talk about primaries, you also have, of course, a big race here in Indiana in the 5th Congressional District. Yeah. Some candidates uh, getting together for a debate on Saturday on the Republican side. That's going to be an interesting race to watch. It is, and the endorsements keep falling every which way. And, I mean, meanwhile, Christina Hale, our, our former panelist here, just right. keeps racking up dollars. And you know what? I mean, if it's really going to be a contentious primary and Republicans have to spend down to get to get their nominee, I feel pretty good about it as a Democrat. 
pretty divided uh, race on, on the Republican side. And something to think about, too, this may be on the Republican primary, you may actually have a weird situation where the moderate or more liberal Republican is the front runner. A gentleman by the name of Mark Small, who's an attorney here in Annapolis, a, a much more progressive Republican, if I actually put those two words together. Who's really flown under the radar. Yeah, and because you have all so the far. other guys who are so far to the right, they're all kind of cannibalizing, you know. I'm so pro-life, I want to outlaw the, you know, the base casket company. I mean, because they're just fighting for, you know, to occupy that space on the right that, you know, you find 20, because remember, you don't need a majority to win a primary, you need the plurality. Sure. And when you got 12 million people running, all it takes is one person to get 21%, and they, they cross the finish line. And a district that uh, is certainly very suburban and did see some Democrats get elected in council races. This yeah, past I was going to say, you, you know, you can't read too much into that, of course. Uh, local politics is much more right. personality based than necessarily partisan. And sometimes very issue based. It is. Yeah. It, but of all the districts in the state, if you look at all of our congressional districts, this was still a conservative district, but it had that potential to be to be moved. And Susan Brooks, I think, played it very well as a Republican, not being too too conservative necessarily for the district, but the district itself may be moving. This is an opportunity for the Democrats, and this is something obviously Republicans are going to want to hold on to. How do you see this fifth district? Oh, I, I see it as Christina Hales to lose on the Democrat side. I think she's a good candidate and, uh, and a friend to all of us, friend of the show. Um, and then, interestingly, on the Republican side, not a lot of name ID. Uh, Steve Braun uh, was in, out, might be getting back in, um, but a lot of folks that aren't too well known um, but they're making their case, and, and they've got several months to do that. And then you might look for um, Senator Mike, former Senator Mike Delph, also to jump in. So I say nobody knows that's a big name that hasn't entered yet, yeah. but but certainly could change change the race. Always a banjo strum and wild card that one. <laughs> also, uh, fat. If I could um, get back to the uh, uh, the national scene. Yeah, yeah. No, no one wants to talk about the impeachment <laughs> about anymore, Tony. Biden, you didn't catch that. I was calling you fat, like he called. The oh, the Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but you're not, and, and I don't. And, but it did. Sound you're not like, showing on his face. It, it, it did so. sound like it did sound like he was. He said that word and called him that name, and it's just it's just another you know gaffe, a bigger one. It's just. He's just looking more and more unhinged. Uh, I've got to use that word again. It's an interesting race. I mean, obviously, you, you see the candidates starting to go at each other a little bit more now these past few days, especially uh, yep. around Pete Buttigieg, who's now perhaps the front runner in Iowa and New Hampshire. A lot of incoming from Cory Booker in a new ad. Elizabeth Warren wants to know more information about his time at McKinsey, about uh, some of his uh, donors. He wants You're to know about her. I mean, sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hesitate to open up Twitter these days because <laughs> Facebook at least has figured out I only want to look at puppies and kittens <laughs> and my friends' kids' photos and stuff from school. But Twitter, it's just, you know, I open that up and it's, you know, Liz Smith, who's Pete Buttigieg's press person, right. arguing with Elizabeth Warren's press person. And I honestly just think <clears throat> most of us a lot of in the real world, politics, yeah, a lot of arguing, right? and most of us have tuned it out. I want to go back real quick to something that Laura brought up, though, the, the Amazon story. Um, I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get to talk about it, but it is, like, it is, I don't know, maybe it's the former Indie Star reporter in me that thinks that they really just brought out this giant, you know, missile launcher to, to quash a story that should be pretty easy to quash. And I, it's a mystery to me why they're, they're doing that. Well, it's, it's drawn some reaction this week, Laura. Yeah. You mentioned the yeah. Society of Professional Journalists uh, yeah. re reacting to the cease and desist letter, which is, I suppose, more of a... Uh, more of a threat than an actual legal act. They it haven't is, gone to a court to no, seek. No, no, one's, no one's gone to court. And, and I've known the governor's uh, attorney in this uh, forever, and he is not one to to do something like this lightly. Or I mean, he's very actually very thoughtful uh, individual. I, I go back and forth on this one, having been on both sides of the fence as a media person as a spokesperson uh, for a governmental agency. I, I think the bigger 
question is, you know, when my brothers and sisters in the media ran the story, did they do any fact-checking of their own? Or did they just basically take what Reveal wrote and then just sort of, you know, cut and paste it and splash? Here's the, the governor big... seems to have been very critical yeah. Yeah. of the star Here. for for simply reprinting the article. Yeah, and then the, then there was also the implication that the governor gave the Amazon gave the governor a thousand dollars and and campaign contributions. Well, guess what? Anybody who went on the camp, campaign website or say the Secretary of State would have saw that Amazon gave money to all four caucuses right. that. Yeah. That, that month. And so already you've got you know, people insinuating, well, the governor did all this for a thousand bucks. Like, really? Seriously? Well, that's, it doesn't, like, the story itself doesn't make any sense. The reveal story, parts of it do. Obviously, the parts that are on tape, I, you know, I believe that something potentially not great happened, but what caused it, I don't know. The fact that, like, the governor is not going to be standing in the Department of uh, Labor Commissioner's office. It strains credulity. It's weird, right? But, but then, the like, other parts of the story, the governor hasn't pushed back exactly. on as much as, as he has simply to say, I was not in that meeting. But he actually, the way that that was phrased was weird, too. Like, I was not in the office, or however he put it, but it was clear that, like, he could have been on the phone, or he could have been, I mean, again, just lay out the facts as they happened, and the truth shall set the, you free. The star did run a correction via reveal, which had said, yes, this guy was terminated and did not resign. There's a lot to unpack. And, and, and a lot of times, yeah. that, that's all it takes uh, from the government's perspective. Like, see, look, there's one thing they already messed up, so how can you believe the rest of what's in here? If they can even get that basic fact... Right or correct. Yeah, is it right. going to undermine the rest of it? I think it's a mountain that's been made of a molehill. This is something that could have happened. We'd be like, oh, that's interesting. And then the news cycle continues. I, there's a lot of political dynamics underneath it, but I just think, my goodness. Yeah. Well, a lot to talk about there, a lot to talk about this week. I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about next week as well. We'll see you then on In Focus Sunday morning on Fox 59 and CBS 4.